Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Before we get into the podcast today, I would like to say to everybody listening, please do leave us uh, reviews in your chosen podcast player and do give us some feedback because that will help us uh, decide on what we're going to be talking about on the podcast going forward. We get some great comments, so please do keep those going. Uh, for today's podcast, we are joined kindly once more by Alan Green. Alan, thanks for being with us today. Good morning, John. Good to be back. So we've been speaking uh, over the past uh, year, Alan, in some detail about inflation. It's something that uh, has been a main theme of, of this year. And it's very hard to get away from the subject. And, and uh, this morning, uh, it is going to be something that we have to touch on, given the huge reading that we've seen in the UK inflation data for October, 4.2%. That's the highest for some 10 years. We spoke uh, very recently about the Bank of England and whether they bottled the last rate hike at the time, they said they wanted to get a little bit more in the way of data from the UK economy. They wanted to see in particular what the jobs market was doing. Yesterday, we had uh, an instalment of jobs data from the UK, which showed that the economy created 160,000 jobs last month and, and at record high record highs for job adverts. So that does suggest a very healthy uh, jobs market out there. And this data today, you know, 4.2% in inflation. It's very difficult now to see how the Bank of England cannot raise rates in their next meeting in December. But Alan, let's now just talk about the market impact. First of all, what we're seeing today. And then let's just move on after that and look at what this means, you know, in particular for the FTSE 100 and, and some of the shares there. I mean, initial reaction today in markets, we're seeing yields, uh, 10-year UK government gilts go up to 1%. Uh, we've seen an increase in the pound, uh, not so much against the dollar, because the dollar has actually been on, on strong run mm. yesterday, um, and or not yesterday, you know, over the last few weeks. So that it did get out some gains against the uh, the dollar. But what's quite interesting is, is the pound against the euro. Um, we're coming up to the highest levels for about a year now mm. um, on the uh, uh, GBP euro rates. Uh, and of course, we see some weakness in the in the FTSE 100 there, Alan. I mean, in your opinion, when we're looking at the FTSE 100, there has been an inverse relationship, which has been you know, particularly uh, evident since since Brexit and, and the sharp movements that we've seen there. You know, over the last you know, three or so months, we've seen a weakening in the pound and at the same time, a strengthening in the, the FTSE 100. You know, we're approaching, not quite there, but approaching pre-pandemic highs, uh, which are just above 7,400. I mean, how much does this inflation data put that at risk in terms of moving above those pre-pandemic highs if we see a rate hike cycle to fight inflation, which then brings back into this the, back into play this inverse relationship between the pound and the FTSE 100? 
It, yeah, it, it, it's a complex um, conundrum, isn't it? And uh, we've got this this cocktail of factors uh, all vying uh, and weighing in their own way on the fortunes of the FTSE 100 going forward. Of course, the FTSE 100 is comprised chiefly of dollar earners. So all the while there's a strong dollar, we're going to see um, we're, we're going to see that as the key driver, certainly behind the uh, the resource and and the commodity uh, 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 stocks on on the index. Uh, when we come to when we come to uh, inflation, um, as you say, uh, we had strong jobs numbers yesterday. Uh, indicating that the end of the furlough schemes and the job losses uh, may not be as severe as was expected, although I still suspect that has a number of months to play out. Uh, you know, we're not going to see the impact of that immediately, but certainly the early signs are good. So it's played into the argument for raising interest rates and whether it's a quarter of 1% to start with or how the Bank of England uh, approaches. Clearly, they've got to tackle inflation, so interest rates will is one of the tools at their disposal to do that. But of course, um, you know, whilst we have higher food prices um, on the one hand, higher sort of food and energy prices on the one hand, if the interest rates go up, then of course, borrowing costs go up. So um, so uh, the the householder still ends up paying largely largely the same in fact that in fact the net result is they're still paying out more money so it's really it's really uh, the bank has to form a judgment based on the uh, on how the householders will be least, will be least impacted going forward and i suspect that pressure will be put on some of the lenders as well to um, to ensure that uh, that uh, if that if people are in trouble that that, that they can restructure accordingly and um, restructure uh, um, effectively to ensure they can continue to cover their borrowings. But um, for stocks, obviously, the higher interest rates are going to drive the financials, particularly the banks, um, and, and we're already seeing strength in that sector over over the past the past little while. But um, it's it's a difficult. It's a difficult situation to manage, um, and uh, I, I suspect that uh, a move by the Bank of England will be very cautious. That, that, that they have to act now. You know, four point two percent inflation is very worrying indeed, and the trend seems to be up. So they're going to have to act, but I don't believe they'll come straight in with a, a half or even a one percent uh, uh, um, rate hike. I think it'll be quarter of one percent start with. And then we'll build slowly from there and just see how the medicine's working. Yes, I think I think any, anything above quarter of a percent would be uh, a big surprise to the market and probably cause huge amounts of, of volatility. But you did pick mm. up on some uh, on some sectors there in in the, in the financials, and and you know that is one of the companies looking uh, set of companies looking this morning mm. that have been beneficiaries from this news. Uh, looking at the likes of Lloyd's and Barclays and uh, NatWest Group, all higher. Whereas if we're looking at some of the house builders, for example, they're weaker. And and this is really uh, the opposite of what we saw after the last uh, rate hike decision, where they decided not to hike rates, that we saw weakness in the banks and strength in the, in the, in the house builders as people were pricing in what higher rates would do for these different sectors i mean when you're looking now at the market alan do you really feel that it's a it's a stock pickers market in as far as 
you know, we've got this inverse relationship between the pound and the FTSE 100, and that's going to move uh, the, the, indi- the, the index there in, in a big way if, if we see sharp moves in the pound. So is it now a time to really set out which sectors you want to be exposed to and really start preparing for higher rates? Or do you think this is something that, that the market will take in its stride? Yes, we're seeing a bit of a reaction today, but by the time December comes around, uh, it's not going to be anything new. It's going to be priced in. And we start to see people then look towards the growth story as opposed to what's happening with prices. Mm, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that's very much the case. You know, whilst the inflation figures are extremely worrying um, for for the markets, um, uh, certainly the, the bank, I think the Bank of England will respond. And it, it's whether that uh, inflation rate is going to be sustained. And as we're at this time of year in the Northern Hemisphere, clearly this is a this is a, a time of year when energy prices really do come into focus um, because of the cold months. So, um, so the, it could just be a seasonal factor, one that will become less reliant on um, in time. Also driven by Brexit, of course. So you've got those factors to take into into account too. But um, I suspect these are short-term issues rather than um, systemic long-term issues. Um, and I think uh, I think a move by a firm move by the Bank of England um, and some clear messaging, I think, will um, will probably keep maintain the status quo. And I, it's it's really uh, we've really got a, a conundrum for the FTSE 100 where uh, if if interest rates uh, increase, the financials will be driven. Um, but uh, growth stocks will be uh, will be pushed to one side um, if if interest rates uh, if if, uh, if in interest rates are increased um, then then of course we've got uh, we, we, we've got a the the, the financial being driven if interest rates aren't, aren't increased then um, of course the growth stock opportunities still exist but um, but then of course there's going to be the focus on the impact it's going to have on householders and also long term whether some of those first time buyers will be will be tempted into the market or whether they'll whether their finances will be um will be impacted accordingly so it could higher interest rates longer term could severely impact on the housing market too so there's all those factors to take into account yes and as you mentioned there i think what's going to be quite important is the messaging side of things i mean this is something that really came into play uh with some of the ecb uh, presidents uh, years ago, uh, John Claude Trichet and Draghi uh, were, you know, seen to be the ones that that could move markets by the the hints that they gave on what they were going to do. And I think that's going to be particularly important for the Bank of England going forward because it looks as though they're going to have to hike rates. But after that, it's all about the perception, the market perception of what they do and how quickly they hike rates if they need to hike rates uh, further. Yeah, uh, it, in, in, in it, future. It, it is. It's at times like this that we need to see a bit of leadership from the Bank of England and and uh, you know firm, firm decision making and you know clear policies and, and and as I say, leadership because I think that will send the right signals to the markets and uh, and reassure investors. And that's uh, it, it's when we have these periods of uncertainty, the will they won't they? That's um, that's the worst time for markets and uh, investors, both retail and institutional. Indeed. So 
mentioning just then stock picking. Now let's move on to the companies that we're going to discuss today. And, you know, the, the, these are all ones that I'm sure people that are, that are into stock picking and, and looking at fundamentals of stocks would have had uh, had a look at at some time in, in these first two FTSE 100 uh, companies. And I think the first one to start with, Alan, is, is Vodafone. For, for, uh, for many, many years, this was uh, a real um, household name in terms of uh, a company to invest in for income. It's obviously gone through major change in the last decades and just in the last uh well you know year or so it's been quite a torrid time for investors but we did have an update from them yesterday alan up, up around five percent so that was taken uh very well by the markets which is off slightly today but what did that report look like well the uh the, the company's actually starting to turn things around and again of course the vodafone is uh it's a it's a cornerstone for Many an investor's portfolio, um, and of course institutions as well. Uh, it's been very much a darling in that regard because, of course, it's got a very healthy dividend yield, nearly seven percent. So, so uh, you know, just holding the stock alone, you're going to earn seven percent. And if you can pick up the stock, I mean, we're just off year, uh, we're just off um, year-to-date lows now at 115 pence. Um, stock has been down to 106, and of course, um, you know, a while ago it was uh, down down below a pound. So. Um, the stock's off slightly today, but uh, with that with that dividend yield, um, it, it's it, it is it's very popular for investors, and, and it's uh, certainly certainly uh, if you wanted a reliable cornerstone, this would be the stock to have, and uh, I still very much believe that. But um, uh, of course, when you become a company the size of Vodafone, and let's not forget we've got a thirty one billion market cap, um, and uh, uh, with uh, with that dividend yield, it's very hard to change direction and steer the super tanker in another in another direction. You know, it's uh, it it turns very slowly and uh, and um, it's very hard to uh, for, for the company to suddenly change its earnings or improve profits massively. But it's actually increased its free cash flow forecast. Um, first off, earnings. Uh, uh, grew grew faster th- uh, than expected, um, and uh, on on the back of that, the company raised full year earnings guidance to fifteen point two billion euros um, from from fifteen fifteen billion. You know, so that's a uh, that's a that's a, a sizable increase given the sort of money that Vodafone turns over, um, and it's in sort of commercial momentum. Um, uh, driven in particular by a, a very strong performance in Germany, which is uh, the company's largest market. So um, the chief exec, Nick Reid, said that uh, that the, the numbers had given the company solid commercial momentum. Um, also, they, they, it also saw a good performance in Africa as well as other other um, uh, other European um, countries. Um, and... Uh, Overall, it's seeing an increase in handset sales, uh, recovery in handset sales after COVID, um, and the outlook is is pretty strong for the group. Um, in some areas, uh, it's the company's consolidating, um, and uh, and, and uh, it's seeing uh, post COVID um, some problems in some markets, but not 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 on the overall performance. And I think that's the thing with. Vodafone, it can experience real problems in one market, but due to the sheer size and uh, size of the operation and complexity of the operation, um, uh, the overall performance uh, 
um, you'll you'll barely see a dent in that performance, uh, provided so the markets perform, which they have done in this case. So um, the the company is is always seeking to uh, fine tune costs and um, improve um, improve profitability, and it's doing so selling um, selling down and and looking at merging some of its uh, operations such as. Vantage Towers, for instance, uh, where it's looking to sell down a controlling stake, uh, and of course bring more money to the company. But, but overall, you know, at this juncture, given that we're just off the year lows uh, to date, um, I'd, uh, it looks like looks to be a good entry point. And uh, with that near seven percent dividend yield, um, what's not to like? Yes, yes, in, indeed. I mean, especially looking at where the share price is now and, and the dividend that you mentioned there, if they really are on a uh, path to change what they've been doing over the last uh, couple of years, it, it could present some value there. I mean, just some one, one point there on the costs, Alan, you know, with, with a you know, company of this size, it's very difficult to, to see higher revenue figures. You know, is it really a case of for Vodafone to generate more profit the focus really has to be on restructuring, um, you know, their cost base, uh, looking at efficiencies as opposed to, you know, trying to look for new markets and, and increase their footprint because they're, they're obviously so big that now the focus needs to be on, you know, decreasing the cost there to see the profits go up. Yeah, that, certainly that's part of the case. So, well, it's managing both really, but but I mean, let's not forget, you know, the the company still managed to grow. Overall revenues by five percent in the first half, up to twenty-two, nearly twenty-two and a half million euros from twenty-one and a half, uh, so, sorry, billion euros um, uh, 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 previously. So, so, so the overall performance you've still increased by nearly a billion euros, which is that's no mean achievement, you know. That's a, and that's all the markets combined together, coupled with the. With the, uh, with the with the documented problems in some of the markets where some of the providers are are downselling and uh, and some of the providers in markets are are are, are merging together to try and uh, to try and save costs and uh, and um, and uh, improve economies of scale. But um, but I mean the the outlook's good. The outlook's strong. They are downselling the, these these assets. So so they look capable with the with the markets. Uh, recovering after covid they look capable of uh, certainly hitting top end of forecast for the year and uh, possibly even exceeding those going forward so so you know for the first time possibly in a long time vodafone actually offers some decent capital growth potential and if you can you know lock in some capital growth by getting in at this level and uh, it returns to year highs you've got you've still got that 7% dividend to boot so you know it's a it's a good entry point Indeed, indeed, and certainly going to be one that's going to be of interest to investors looking for income, as you mentioned. And you know, with that potential of capital appreciation, certainly an interesting prospect at this point in time. So now let's move on to the second company uh, that we're going to discuss today, and that's SSC. Reported this morning, shares are off four percent, but it seems um, that you know the underlying uh, performance of the business and what they're doing in terms of their strategy isn't as negative as what the uh, share price is doing today. No, it's having a very, it's had a very strong year actually. I mean, uh, you know, uh, despite COVID, I mean, since the since this time last year, shares were trading. Uh, you know, they they hit a low in March of 
12 pounds 80 and they're now trading 15.78 having been as high as just under 17 pounds a share um and of course it's all about renewals a, a renewable energy for the company and uh so a, a, a pundit sort of commented this morning that they'd have more money had that have made more money had the wind blown harder. So it, it's it, it's it's prophetic in a sense because it actually illustrates the challenges that renewable energy companies face. You know, you you need the wind to blow, or you need uh, you need uh, the water to flow in order to continue generating um, uh, the electricity. So uh, that, that's a it's a consideration. Uh, you know, for the future, if there is major climate change and uh, perhaps a site where traditionally there was loads of wind, suddenly the wind suddenly stops blowing, then you're in deep trouble. But um, but nonetheless, this is still a strong performance. Of course, SSE sold down its household energy and supply services company uh, beginning of last uh, last year. So unlike many of the energy players, it doesn't have the the exposure to the energy crisis uh, that's currently um, seen several of the smaller energy players going to uh, administration. So um, it's it's also the the, the moves um, have uh, in, into renewable energy and the additional twelve and a half billion that it's investing into in, in, in into the uh, the sector in the coming years has uh, appeased. Elliot, which is an activist invest, investor, um, and uh, Elliot's of course pushing for SSE to separate its renewables business from the its uh, core energy uh, core grid business, um, and uh, of course on the basis that uh, if it uh, if it spins off its renewables, then arguably you you could see a higher a much higher st- a rating. Whether that's a sensible move, Elliot believes so is uh, remains to be seen, but I. Uh, you know, I suspect, um, given that uh, given that SSE would then become susceptible to whether the wind blows or not, it might be an idea to keep the entities combined. But uh, that's just uh, that's just an opinion formed from uh, formed from looking at the commentary today. Um, nonetheless, uh, um, the company is uh, has set its stall out very clearly going forward. Um, it's making this investment into renewables. And, you know, the share price performance on the year has been pretty fantastic. If you bought in, as I say, at £12.80 uh, back in March, you'd have you'd be sitting pretty now. And once again, this is a great dividend pair. So you learn, you learn a 5% dividend uh, from the company going forward. Um, and uh, I think this company is managing itself very well. And uh, regardless of the pressure from its activist investor, um, Elliot, uh, I think it continues to be run very well. And also there's a, a very solid outlook for the group too. So, Alan, of course, available to UK investors, there's a range of funds, uh, investment trusts, and of course, you know, various different companies uh, you know, in, in the small cap arena. But in your view, does SSE present the best opportunity to UK investors that are looking for a blue chip company operating in the renewable energy sector? Uh, I think it, it it probably does simply because of its size and also uh, um, the it's made the commitment. You know we've got this twelve and a half billion strategic investment. Uh, it's got um, it's also announced today. It's, it's a standalone net zero acceleration program to accelerate uh, clean energy uh, or, or growth in, in in clean energy provision. So so that that that's very solid. But it also it also uh, does have 
the the links and uh, you know a lot of this revenue is driven from um, the the grid business you know which is the which is the which is the the more traditional energy business um, which also is a solid revenue generator too so it's a bit of a conundrum because um, yeah if it does spin off the if it does spin off the clean energy business then arguably it could, it could trade on a higher rating and obviously. Elliot being an activist investor would be pleased with that, and I'm sure other shareholders might be too. But you open up these other risks too. So um, uh, when we're when we're looking for investments, we're looking for safe uh, like this. We're looking for safe investments. You know, investments to cornerstone your portf- portfolio with. You know, like Vodafone in another sector. It's a good dividend payer. So. I would say that probably this company is on the right track. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be one of the biggest players in renewables uh, in the coming years. Um, and uh, I think the business currently is being run very well by by the management team. So um, I don't see really that uh, too much needs to change. Indeed. And I think the reason why we're seeing shares down today is because they're actually delivering on their strategy. <laughs> When you start to see, obviously, it doesn't sound right for saying that, but, you know, obviously you have the activist investor in Elliot trying to break up the group and get it to sell its renewables business. By doing that, it would unlock some value there for shareholders in the short term in terms of cash returns. So I think what we're seeing today is disappointment from the market that that potential cash from the renewables business isn't going to be coming in to SSE in the short term, and they're actually going to carry on as one group. So uh, those looking for a short-term trade disappointed, but I'm sure long-term holders of SSE will be very pleased with what they're seeing today. I think that's being reflected in the in the share price. I, I think that I think just to say that, John, I think there is uh, there are some other factors uh, there too. Of course, the with this uh, pledge and commitment going forward. Um, the, the company's also also said that it's going to be paying a a, a dividend um, of of at least three pound fifty per share across the next five years, with attractive annual growth of at least five percent to March twenty twenty six, and that's with the combined entity. So um, so I think you know that ticks a lot of boxes for investors, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens if that actually comes to a vote at the AGM, but. Uh, you know, I, I think you've got to give the group, give SSE the benefit of the doubt. What they're doing is working and it's working as a combined entity. And and the thing is with spinoffs, they, you know, you often get spinoffs when um, one division is underperforming. It's like Johnson & Johnson, of course, announced uh, it was going to spin off its consumer healthcare arm, um, you know, and... Uh, that's uh, I think there was rationale to do that because you've got a lot of underperforming businesses there. Um, with SSE, it's got good performance both from its renewables and its core business. So um, the argument is there. You know, if, if shareholders are going to continue to receive this this dividend in the coming years, um, if it ain't broke, why why, why change it? Indeed, indeed, I, I have to uh, agree with with that. It seems to be working. And, you know, why Why upset the apple cart there with things? Yeah. So definitely going to be an interesting company to watch and uh, uh, certainly a, uh, a bellwether for renewable energy here in the, uh, in the UK. So I'm sure that's going to be one that we discuss again on the podcast in the, uh, in the future. So, Alan, now let's move on to the last company that we're going to discuss today. And again, one that we have 
been through in some detail on the podcast previously because it is uh, a, a junior company in in the uh, in the AIM market, which is uh, producing a strong level of news due to the operation. And the latest, I believe, Alan, is the announcement of a of a funding round, winning of their very well funded to go forward from here. That's Blencow Resources. What's been happening there? Okay, yeah, Blencow Resources um, is uh, so so. It's obviously a micro cap compared to the companies we've been talking about. Shares currently trading at five point three p. So they they they've along with uh, other peer group uh, micro cap mining companies. They've they have slid this year, but um, currently with a market cap of six and a half million, trade as high as nine and a half p on the year, as low as five p. So just off the year lows now, but with um, with a with bolstered cash reserves, they've just uh, in an oversubscribed fundraise raised two million um, uh, two million sterling. Also includes um, subscriptions of seventy five thousand from the company directors and the CEO. Um, and of course, Blencow is all about a huge uh, graphite resource in Uganda. Um, this is the Oran Cross Graphite Project, 100% owned by the company. And over the past year, the company has been undertaking work on, um, in the area. Now, this is, make no mistake, this is a huge region. It's 2,000 square miles. It's a vast territory. And um, the company announced a jork, uh, a maiden jork resource estimate of 16.3 million tonnes of graphite um, back in April this year. Um, and that, that, of course, is a great step forward for the group. But that's the area from which that jork um, estimate is uh, is uh, is is derived from is less than one percent of the entire uh, um, uh, uh, prospect area for Orem Cross. So that's highly significant. Um, now this is high grade graphite, and of course, graphite has a multitude of applications. But of course, is going to be key to the. Um, the EV and battery industry as we go forward. Um, uh, the Certainly in the lithium-ion batteries, graphite makes up more than 40% of the constituent parts, so it's key in that. And it has a raft of industrial applications, both in uh, in steel mills, um, uh, in, uh, in, in use in, uh, in, in uh, environments where flame retardant materials are required, and a whole raft of other applications, so it's hugely important. So the group um, uh, on September the 29th announced um, a preliminary economic assessment of the Orem Cross project. And you know, bear in mind this is just the area that we talked about, which is less than one percent of the entire uh, license area for Orem Cross. So the PEA um, established what a net present value for the stuff in the ground of 317 million dollars um if a mine were to be built there there'd be a 13-year mine life um and the extraction costs would be ultra low for the simple reason that you can literally walk on the ground there and the bits of graphite are sticking out of the ground so you could arguably drive across with a tractor and a rake and rake a load of the stuff out of the ground so of course from that you need to process it um and uh and uh and all the rest of it, and the PEA establishes operating costs at roughly $498 per tonne, and of course it sells for an awful lot more than that, um, generating some uh, some uh, $40 million, uh, per annum EBITDA 
just from that one place. Uh, that's assuming that the graphite sells for just over $1,000 uh, per ton. Um, so over the initial 13 years, that could generate as much as $351 million just from that, from that small area. So on the back of that, the company's uh, raised $2 million. It's, um, it's, it's now fully funded through to completion of the next phase, which is, of course, the pre-feasibility study. And that looks at uh, the feasibility study provides uh, the assessment of the land, uh, of uh, the cost of building a plant there, extracting the material, mining it, getting it ready for market, getting it to market. That's via road, via ship um, and, uh, and the entire process. And obviously, all the time this is happening, the outlook for the graphite market is increasing in strength. We're seeing uh, greater demand than ever for electric cars, uh, for batteries, gigafactories springing up all over the place. And um, the company said that uh, in the short term, it's going to update the jolt resource. So we're going to see a jolt resource from a slightly increased area. And of course, the pre-feasibility study will be ready next summer. And at that point, you know, uh, we can then look to, uh, we can then set down some a timeline for actually getting the mine built and and getting uh, you know uh, estimates as to when production can actually start. So that's a really exciting step forward. Already, the company are in conversations with uh, major uh, ma- major uh, 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 major global corporates for takeoff agreements uh, because, of course, it'll be key uh, uh, going forward and. What often happens is when we get to a PA round or a PA study completion, the corporates move in, the the, the takeoff deals are set up, um, so the company, so those corporates get in early to make sure that they are first in the queue to to um, ensure uptake of the product. So here we are, six and a half million market cap, um, fully funded uh, through to the completion of PFS. I think we're going to see a very strong year for Blencow next year, and it um, you know um, the company. Um, I'm sure once the PFS is underway, we'll be trading at much higher multiples than we're currently seeing at the moment. Indeed, market cap of 6.5 million just raised 2 million. You know, that, that suggests you know what they have there's only worth 4.5 in terms of the assets there, which seems rather rather, rather low. Well, that, I mean, what... yeah, yeah, I mean that, that that's 4.5 million get against an NPV number of 317 million dollars. So you know, um, there's going to be some convergence or a move by the uh, the company valuation towards that number or, or closer to that number at some point for sure. I mean, what, what do you think the the medium term looks like for for Blencow? Alan, I mean, is this a company that you feel feel the board wants to take through to production and really grow the asset there as a uh, as a company, or do you think this is something that then becomes you know a potential uh, target for other players there in the market? I mean, you know, to get this going, they're going to have to bring in. You know other players in in terms of you know sort of JVs and such like to to get the production online. I mean, what, where do you think it goes in the medium term? Very much so. I, I mean that that's what happens. Of course, we see this. Um, you know, the, the, this is the strategy that the the microcap mining's mining uh, companies uh, are engaged in. In that they they take an asset through, they develop it uh, through to um, through to uh, completion of the PFS. Uh, and often before that point, um, you know, the data that's already out there in the public domain is good enough for some of the majors to to get involved. And, um, you know, we saw, you know, a, a year or so ago with uh, with Greatland Gold in Australia, with the Haviran mine, uh, Newcrest Mining came in and uh, 
and uh, you know, Grain and Gold retained a 35% stake. Market cap rocketed from 25, 30 million up to one, one and a half billion at uh, some, at, at some, some point. So, um, you know, the, the, the stuff's in the ground there. There's no doubt about it. It's, uh, it's also a very low extraction cost too, and that's a very attractive proposition to one of the, to, to to a mining major. So I suspect that um, you know we could well see uh, we could well see interest from some of the majors as we go forward into next year. Uh, but of course that's pure speculation. But I think the indications are there, and certainly in interviews, Mike Ralston, the uh, the director there, has uh, indicated that um, you know they're seeing a lot of interest from third parties. Indeed, indeed. Surely uh, an interesting company to watch and one that we'll be discussing again on the podcast when we get some more information and updates from them. So a recap there of the companies discussed today. First of all was Vodafone with a ticker of V-O-D. Uh, just then was Blen Cow Resources with a ticker of B-R-E-S. And of course, in the middle was SSE with a ticker of SSE. Alan, thank you much for joining the podcast today. Thank you, John. So just as I said at the beginning, uh, a reminder, please do leave us some feedback in terms of ratings and anything that you would like us to discuss on the podcast going forward. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.